But there is a principle that if you if you look backwards, it can deter you from where you want to go. And and if you look, if you read, if you study the writings of Paul, the Paul, what we call the Pauline epistles, you'll find that he frequently uses sports metaphors. He pulls from the Roman and Greek Olympics. He talks about running. Another place, he talks about boxing. And, and he says, when I fight, I don't fight like I'm beating the air. And that's a, you ever seen somebody shadow box or just kind of, you know, faint around and they're boxing? And that's all good, but and, and there's a practice, I guess, in there. But in reality, you're just kind of tiring yourself out. Paul said, if I'm a box, I'm a box. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it. I'm going to go to it. And, and then he, he, he does it. But th- there's this principle that if you're always looking behind you, it's going to really hinder you from looking in front of you. Satchel Paige, the great baseball player that paved the way for Uh, uh, black players in our major leagues, he made famous the saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you. I think it was Zane, and and I I probably ought to be nice to Zane, but but here we go. Zane, I think it was Zane as he grew up, when when he was little, he would run. He always wanted to look behind him. It was like, I guess, his shadow, and and, and he would would look behind him as he ran, and it made for some interesting uh, falls and Things like that. You can't do that. Uh, May the 6th, 1954. Have you heard the, the name Roger Bannister? Roger Bannister became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. What's interesting, it's a whole nother sermon, a whole nother thing, is it's amazing how as soon as a person or someone breaks the barrier, it just seems like it's that it's quicker and someone breaks that barrier. There's something about breaking that ceiling. But he, he did that in May the 6th, 1954. Within two months, John Landy eclipsed the record by 1.4 second. And on August 5th, 1954, those two, John Landy, who held the current record at that point by 1.7 seconds, and Roger Bannister met together for a historic race, a mile-long race. And as they entered and moved into the last lap, Landy held the lead. And it looked at he was that he would win, but as the story and, and history unfolds, he would say, he was running and he was haunted by the question, where is Bannister? Where's Bannister? And he turned to look, and Bannister took the lead. And in a Times interview later, Landy told that Time magazine reporter, and, this, and I quote, he said, if I wouldn't have looked back, I would have won. That, even though it's a, it's a, a, a sports metaphor, a sports thing, it takes place in our lives all the time. If I wouldn't have looked back, I would have won. There's a lot of reasons why one might look back. You can recall something. You can reminisce something. You can remember something. You could relive something. There's memories. There's mistakes. There's victories, if you will. And I'm not against those per se. But Jesus did say, and I'm going to come back to this here in a moment. I'm going to, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it in depth. But Jesus did say in Luke chapter 9, he said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. It's the admonition that, that takes place in Genesis and others that remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife is remembered for one thing and one thing alone. 
when the angel was taking them out of Sodom and Gomorrah and trying to save them and the, and the commandment was don't look back, she did, turned into a pillar of salt, don't look back. Several times in the Bible, it's in Proverbs, it's in 2 Peter. There's a, in, in Pro, it starts in Proverbs, but then they, they quote it in other places. As a dog returns to his vomit, a fool returns to his folly. Something about going back, going back. It's Israel that, that many, many times, Joshua 23 is one of them, but there's uh, uh, some other places that you can see it, but over and over in Israel's history, there was this, this, this admonition, this pleading, don't look back, don't look back to Egypt, don't look back to the wilderness and those nations that are there, don't look back, God wants to bring you forward, don't look back. While I'm, I, I realize there is a, you know, I, I could preach a whole other message, and I have. I preach a message called going back to your carcasses. And sometimes you do need to go back and remember where God brought you from. Sometimes you need to go back and remember your mistakes so that you don't do them again. What is the, uh, uh, help me out, somebody that they says that, that if, if, if we don't learn history, we're destined to repeat it, I believe, something along those lines. If you don't learn from history, you'll repeat the same mistakes. We can look back on painful memories. I know each and every one of us, we all have those moments in our life that haunt us, those experiences, those difficult times, and if we're not careful, we play them over and over and over and over again in our minds. And, and at least for me, I could echo the words of Brother Emery. He said he's a crazy man and he's insane, and you know, he kept saying that. Well, I kind of understand. My brain don't always work right. My brain's like an internal video recorder. When I close my eyes, I can relive moments on my eyelids as if there's a, 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 a you know, projector playing there. It's Charles Dickinson's pitiful character and great expectations. By the way, let me just, Brother, Brother Emery and I were talking, so let me talk to some of you, you young people. Uh, those crazy books that, that, that we read, we read Great Expectations and all those old-fashioned books in, in high school, and I remember thinking, this is dumb, why should I read this? How many of you remember, and, and I'm way off, I'm just, I'm just uh, kind of going off the, the rails right now, but how many of you read George, George, uh, is it George Orwell's and, and Orson Welles' uh, uh, 1942, I think, or 1984, and uh, uh, Animal Farm. How many of you read those? I know they sound crazy, and when I read them in, in 1995 and 1996, it didn't make a lick of sense, but in 2019, I'm kind of thinking they were exactly right, and we're living that moment right now. And uh, it's, it's crazy. But, you know, you go back and you read Great Expectations. And if, if you remember it, there's a pitiful character, Miss Havisham. A person who was never able to overcome her painful memories. In fact, she had the, she was, I think, jilted at her wedding or something along those lines. And she still had her, her, her table set up from 50 years ago or however long it was. And, 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 and her wedding cake was still on there all molded and, and there and and, and uh, all of that, and on that day that her fiancé left her at the altar, her life stopped. The clocks in her houses stopped. The, the, there, the wedding cake decorated with cobwebs. She couldn't move forward because she was always looking back. But even the good things can keep us from looking back. 
I've heard many people, and, and, and I'll, I'll just say here in, in church, in, in religious circles, uh, I, I kind of do get a little frustrated when people always are talking about the good old days. Now, lest you think I'm being harsh, as I grow older, I look back to the good old days. <laughs> I used to make fun of people who are older talking about the music they liked. And now I realize I like my music. It, it's, I, don't, I don't like this new stuff, so I get it. Um, but even good things, you know, the good old days and reliving that somehow stunts you from moving forward to what God perhaps has in store. You cannot live in the past and be fully alive. There is this ever-present temptation, if you will, to look back at what we have done and it causes us never to accept a new challenge that lies in front of us. And so it is, it's good for us to celebrate our successes. I think it's right that we pause every once in a while and thank God for his blessings. I think it's good to sing the old songs like he brought me out of the miry clay. And I think it's good to know where we've come from. But listen to me, don't get stuck there. We cannot be content from where we've come from or where God has brought us out of because it's not that that matters right now. It's where are you going now? Where are you going now that's important? The the. The, and, and I realize that for, for young people, this don't make any sense. And to be honest, I don't know that it makes sense to me. I just have heard it said all my life. But you've heard you can't rest on your laurels. It's true for the church. Our past achievements, our, our past successes, the bars that have been set in the past, the, the things that we've done in the past, we cannot reach a point where we're looking back. Faith must be an expectant faith. That yes, God was the God of yesterday, but he's also the God of today. And guess what? He's the God of tomorrow. If he healed me in the past, then he can heal me now. And should I get sick in the future, he can heal me there. The most descriptive perhaps or one of the most descriptive pictures of Christian life in the Bible is that athlete that's competing in a race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us that it's the discipline of a, a life and discipline that's the key to winning. It's Hebrews 12 that teaches us we are encouraged to lay aside anything that might weigh us down, might hinder our advancement. We've got to stay focused on Christ. It's Philippians 3.12 that says I press on. I forget those things which are behind and I look forward, I reach forward to those things which are ahead. And so it is that I could spend time, and I have, I've preached it. I don't want to preach today the, about don't go back. You know, all of us, I mean, on a Wednesday night, our audience is, is different than, say, a Sunday morning audience. Wednesday night, I, I, I look at a mature uh, uh, those that have walked with God, you've got a maturity in your walk, you've, you've been saved, you've seen that, that, that repentance, you've seen that infilling of the Holy Ghost. And, and I could tell you, don't go back, don't backslide. Don't go back to where God brought you out of. Don't, don't slide back. That could be a sermon. But today, I want to focus on not necessarily backsliding, but just with our church and with us, the, the, 
the, the walk, the Bible so many times uses the, the Christian's walk. That there, it seems to be a journey, if you will. It seems to be that there ought to be a progression as you grow with God. You start as the new birth. You start as a babe in Christ, but read it all, various places in the epistles, various times it says, if you stay as a baby, then your growth is stunted. But instead, there's a journey. You must always move forward, and the church must always move forward. If you have your Bibles, that was my um, uh, introduction. So I know it was really long, but that's my introduction. Now let me get to where I want to go. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 9. And I trust you have your Bible. It's been a while since I, I touched on the fact you ought to bring your Bible to church. So let me do that right now. Bring your Bible to church. Bring it. Bring something you can write it in because you'll be amazed at how many times you go look at your Bible and there's something there that you've written, whether it's in your study or whether it's a preacher preached it, and it will speak to you. And so I have it. I, I'm going to... I'm going to let you, uh, we're going to see how good you are, Brother Mike, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pretty fast. Hopefully you can kind of at least keep up on the screen. But I want to not necessarily read word for word every, every verse in this chapter, but I do want to look at this whole chapter because there is a, a linear progression, but also you've got to see how things work together. So here at the beginning, the first I don't know, I guess six, six verses or so. He calls the twelve to, together and he gives them power and authority over the demons to cure diseases. Sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And I preached about that a, a few weeks ago. He gives these apostles and he says, I'm giving you that authority. I want you to go. Go. And, 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 and they departed. They went into the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This, this verse, we don't know how long they were gone. This is a place, it says they went through the villages. I don't know how many villages. Uh, I don't know how long it took them to walk from village to village. And the Bible doesn't say how long they stayed in the village. So I realize that there is an unknown time frame right here. And then it says now. So sometime in that time frame, Herod heard that, that, that Jesus was there and some were saying it was John the Baptist raised from the dead and, and he, he you know said I want to see him but really he wanted to kill him and so you get this little insert there and then verse 10 on their return the apostles told him all that they had done and you can imagine the excitement there's other places in the gospel that this story is fleshed out more but they come back and they say Lord we, we did that and, and the demons were subject unto us and when we prayed for people they were healed and it's this it, it's what I preached about a couple weeks ago it's this uh, impartation of God's power that he's putting on these believers that's going to be even greater in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you it, it, it's even greater in, in the book of Acts and now even today we're still uh, fulfilling that promise where he said greater things than what I've done Jesus said greater things than Jesus did shall you do and Jesus takes them verse, uh, still verse 10 he takes them and he, he draw, draws them and they go to a town called Bethsaida there the crowds begin to come. And again, there's other places I could have chosen to read this from. And 
other places where perhaps you see more, but they come and he speaks to them of the kingdom of God. Those that need a healing, he heals, and the day begins to wear away, and the 12 says, hey, send them away. We don't have any food. They're hungry. And, and Jesus said, oh, oh, we can do it. And they said, well, we've got you know five loaves and two fish. There are about 5,000 men. He made them sit down in groups of 50 each. They take the five loaves and two fishes. Jesus looks into heaven. Jesus blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it to the disciples. They distribute it in the crowd. All eat. Everyone satisfied. And then they still picked up 12 baskets of those broken pieces and, and 12 baskets there. And, of course, as you know, in other gospels that we know from there they they get on a boat the boat the storm comes they end up at the gadarenes they end up where 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 the man that's possessed of of all the devils are there and so there's a lot that may not be in this but I'm just trying to take you on a journey for a moment but as he was praying alone so now if you pull the 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 elements of the other gospels you'll now know that they're in Caesarea Philippi because you'll recognize this story. They were in Caesarea Philippi. And, and while they're there, he looks at them and he says, who do the crowds, or who do men, who do the people say I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're all the prophets, Jeremiah. And then, of course, he looks and he says, but who do you say I am? And this emphatic uh, uh, exclamation of Peter, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here it says, you are the Christ of God. You know, again, we're, we're only pulling one uh, side of this story. And he charged them and he says, don't tell anybody out there's some things I've got to suffer and I've got to be rejected, I've got to be killed, and on the third day, be raised. Now I want you to just kind of, now we, we've got a, a flow going, okay? At the beginning, we don't know how many days they were there, but now we're going to start compacting that timeline, and you're going to see that it's it's a day, it's an hour. This is all happening real close. See, who do men say that I am? Oh, you're the Christ. Don't tell anybody. I've got to I got to go. I've got to be rejected. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have you know. There, there's a lot of things that are going to happen to me. And then verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, if you're going to follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. A little prophetic word that there's one named John who's going to be on an isle of Patmos and the angel's going to carry him up and he's going to see things there that we find in the book of Revelation. He's going to see the kingdom of God. That's what that means. But if any man follows me, let him deny himself Pick up his cross and follow. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses himself or loses his soul or forfeits himself? And then about eight days after these saying, I want you to see how it all flows together. About eight days after he says this, he takes Peter and John and James up on the mountain, that mountain of transfiguration. And, and this is a, a moment where, if you recall the, the sermon we preached about the first pillar, the pillar of God, the God that is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at all times, unseeable, unsearchable, uh, uh, just 
your mind can't comprehend it. And then Galatians and Colossians says that Jesus is the expressed image. He's the revelation. God said, I want to reveal myself to you. I want you to get a glimpse of of who I am. And so he comes. Well, here's where Peter, James, and John get a glimpse, not of the man Christ Jesus, but of God himself transfigured they, they they try to say it here that you know he 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 he's dazzling white the appearance of his face is altered anytime you read someone trying to describe god it sounds weird because mortal words can't describe him they see it peter's ready to just stay up there forever and build a tabernacle and jesus thumps him on the back of the head and says get behind me satan uh you know I, i'm not that's not how we live for God. We don't hermit ourselves on top of a mountain because you had a good experience. I'm glad you got filled with the Holy Ghost one night at an altar, but you can't stay at the altar. There's a place you got to go. They go down the hill, uh, verse 37, they go down the mountain, a great cloud, on the next day they go down, there's a great cloud, a great crowd rather, great crowd, and a man says, teacher, I beg you, my, your disciples, uh, minus Peter, James, and John, your disciples, they tried to heal my son who's possessed of devils and, and he couldn't do it, and ah, oh, you, ye of little faith, these things come by prayer and fasting, and, and Jesus does it. They're all astonished. And while they're marveling, What is this? Verse 43. While they're marveling at everything Jesus is doing, Jesus says to his disciples, let this sink in. The Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men. They don't understand it. They can't comprehend it. And when they should be trying to figure out what Jesus is talking about, an argument rises among them, who's greater? Who's greater? Oh, I'm greater. I I can do this. I can do that. And Jesus knows. He sees all. He is all. He he knows, and he picks up a little child, sits him on his lap, and he says, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And John, it just, it just blows my mind how dense the disciples were. I mean, if, if, if Jesus is thumping you on the back of the head saying you're doing wrong, quit arguing among yourselves about who is greater. In my own mind... To use Brother Sam memories, in my own twisted mind, Jesus is still thumping them on the back of the head. And John goes, hey, 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 that dude over there, he's casting out demons in your name, but he's not one of us. He doesn't follow you. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to get on him. You ought, to, you ought to kick him out. You ought to throw lightning bolts at him. And Jesus just shakes his head and he says, you're an idiot. Don't stop him. I mean, if he's not against you, he's for you. It's kind of real simple. I mean, that's a good thing. Don't say he's of the devil because the devil surely ain't going to try to, you know, set the captive free. And then he wants to go to Jerusalem. They go to the village of Samaria. They don't, they don't, re, uh, the, the people there don't receive him. And again, his disciples, James and John, they see it. They said, Lord, I got it. You know, they were, so, oh, Lord, they were so mean to you. Those, that poor village, they didn't do anything. How about I just call and pray down fire from heaven and just burn them all up? And Jesus goes, you don't get it. You're not getting it. And then I said all of that to get right here. And as they were going down the road, someone said, there's three persons here. I probably am not going to do this justice but there's three persons, and they, they represent three different mindsets. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus turns and says, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And if you tie the Gospels and the accounts together, you'll, you'll realize what was happening was that person said, I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. And when Jesus said, well, let me just help you out, you're probably not going to get a mansion here on earth. You're probably not going to get a Ferrari here on earth if you follow me. Now, now there's treasures laid up in heaven that would be awesome, but here on earth, you know, it, it's going to not be as comfortable as, as you liked. And perhaps that first man thought back of his house and thought of that nice bed and thought of all of the comforts of life that he had, and he turns away sorrowfully. The second to the other, he said, follow me. So the first person asked. The first person said, I'll follow you. The second person Jesus asked, follow me. Very similar to how he called the other disciples, follow me. And that one said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to them, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And I've often struggled with this, but probably one of the easiest ways to look at this, and maybe it's too simple, but the easiest way is this. There's, there's some people that just can never leave family behind. I, I'm convinced the longer I'm alive, that, that and I've heard it, I've seen it, uh, Brother Lee, I've, I've had it happen to me time and time again. Someone sees the Bible, they, they know they need to repent of their sins, they know they need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, they know they need to be baptized, they see it, and, but, but right before they make the change, they say, you know, if I do this, great-grandma who died, I would have to say she was lost because she never did this. And I've watched more people walk away from the truth, not because they didn't believe it, not because they didn't want to follow it, but because it was too hard for them to leave family. And I'm not saying you have to leave family, but that Jesus did say, by the way, he said, I've come to set brother against brother and sister against sister. That's what it means. You've got to make a decision. I follow Jesus no matter the cost. I've got, that's why the Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That don't mean you work out your own way of salvation. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. But you've got to make sure you're saved. Again, let me reiterate, it's when the, the, the plane is crashing, put the mask on your face, then put it on your children's face. And that person couldn't do it, and the, the understanding is they didn't follow. And then the third, another said, I'll follow you, but let me say farewell to those at home, and and he looks behind and Jesus says to him, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Now there's a lot of reasons we could, we could say that. There's a lot of, I mean, I, I like to mow and I've, I've done my share of, of, of plowing in the sense of, of a tiller, you know, a tiller garden. And um, when, I was, when I was 15 years old, I've, I've always been an entrepreneur, and when I was 15 years old, and actually starting before that, my dad was, he was awesome. I loved my dad because my dad went and bought an, an awesome mower. I mean, probably spent a couple thousand on it, you know, one of those big walk-behind mowers, and he bought the mower, and he, I mean, I mowed the, the yard, and then he bought the truck, and he bought the ramps, and he bought the gas, and then he would drive me, to four or five houses a week, and I would cut their grass, and I would get to keep all the profit. 
I wish I could get that that back again, Brother Joey. I wish I could, you know, that 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 economy was pretty good, you know. Uh, you make 100% of the profit, and he takes care of 100% of the expenses. And uh, I made money. I, I loved making money. I, I made it hand over fist. And when you're a kid and you have absolutely no bills and no expenses, and you make $25, $35 a yard, and you cut five or six or seven of those a week, it kind of adds up. And, and I loved mowing, and, and I prided myself on making lines. You know, you, 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 you've driven by and you see those, those, those alternating stripes in a yard. I can stripe a yard. Then when I was 15, I hired on with a, with a commercial company and worked a whole summer with them, and, and I, I can stripe that yard. But I, I learned very quickly, if you want to make a, a straight stripe, you can't be watching to see how good your stripe is behind you. And you can't be looking down right at your feet on the stripe. You got to look off in the distance to where you're going, and you got to kind of fixate on the horizon, and then your stripe would be straight. That's why Jesus said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. And the reason is, there is a teaching that goes forth that you and I, we've got to keep moving forward. You can't stop. Life is moving too quickly. It's passing us by. I mean, Easter's in basically a week and a half. And then it's going to be May and Memorial Day. And then the kids are out of school. And you know how fast summers go. And then it's July 4th, and then it's going to be Labor Day, and, 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 and for you young people, it's going to be North American Youth Congress, and then school starts back up. And then it's, it's, it's bow hunting season. Brother Don starts uh, uh, September 15th, and I can't wait. And then my birthday is October 4th, and, and then, and then we're, we're at Thanksgiving, and then it's going to be Christmas. See how fast that goes? I promise you, you'll blink and it'll be over. Life is moving too fast for the church and for the people of God to, to, to stay in this moment because the, the journey of God is always supposed to move forward. No man having put his hands to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom. Why? Because it's referring to your focus. It's referring to... Where is your sight? Where is your where, where have you set your sight? And I, I was talking today, and 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 the thing about it is, is when you're plowing, you're you're making that furrow, you're making that row, and and the idea is there's someone coming behind you that would be planting seed. Now that might be you later, but so even when you're moving forward, you're setting up for those that are coming behind. So moving forward does not forget those that are behind. Moving forward does not forget what's happening behind you. But there is a focus. Where are you looking? God is very interested in your growth. And I think if modern Christianity has a, has a, a, a problem, and it does, modern Christianity has a huge problem, and that is and I'm going to use we, and I do not mean me, and I don't mean this church. I'm just kind of using the global, modern Christianity. Here it is. We want to preach 
messages that don't convict. We want to, you know, they, they, they want to just kind of tickle the ears. We want a church service that feels good but doesn't change. Can I tell you that we have to be very careful that we don't forget that, that living for God must con, uh, contain the element of growth. We're called to grow. Fruits of the Spirit tell me there must be growth. The new birth tells me there must be growth. And so you and I, we have to get to the place where we understand you and I are called to grow. And in doing so, you put your hand to the plow and you look forward and you plow. There's a, uh, I, I hesitate to do this, but I, I, I really like it because not all the sitcoms that I'm going to refer to are good, and I'm not necessarily suggesting you need to go watch them. But the comedian Jeff Foxworthy had a sitcom, and this, I came across this story, and, and it kind of made a lot of sense. He had the sitcom, and his set was around the corner from, from the Seinfeld set, Jerry Seinfeld and, and all the things that he did. And so the story is said that one night Jeff and his cast members, they had the idea to play a practical joke. And so they went over to Jerry Seinfeld's set and they stole his golf cart and they decorated it and they made it a southern golf cart style. And if you know anything about Jeff Foxworthy and you might be a redneck, you can only imagine how they redneckified that golf cart. It's probably a lot like my golf cart looks like. And so they said they prepared themselves for a battle of pranks. You know, they just kind of assumed that, that it would go back and forth and they would have fun. But the days went on and the weeks went on and nothing ever happened. And one day the, 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 they said that, that Jeff ran into Jerry and he asked about it. And this was Je Seinfeld's reply. Well, you know, it was funny and we talked about getting even. But we got so busy working we never came up with anything. And Foxworthy makes this statement. He says, it made him think. Jerry's show was number one every week. Our show was number 70 every week. Maybe that was why. Again, I'm not condoning the show, but I think you understand where I'm coming from. That, that we've got to make sure that we don't get sidetracked as a church and sidetracked as the people of God with things that ultimately don't matter because God has given us a commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Don't let things sidetrack. Don't get tired and just kind of give up. Keep pressing on. Keep going on. There, there's a, a story that, that's told of a, of a Russian priest who was walking along Russia when one of the guards stopped him and the guard pointed his gun at him and he said, what's your name? Why are you here? Where are you going? You know, just typical gruff guard. And, and that priest looked at the guard and said, how much do they pay you for this work? And the soldier, I'd never heard that asked. He was expecting the priest to cower, and he said, and I don't know what kopecks or kopecks are. It's obviously some sort of Russian money. But he said, I make three kopecks a, week, a, a, a month. And the priest looked at him, and he said, tell you what, 
I'll pay you 30 copics a month if you'll stop me every week and ask me those same questions. What's your name? Why are you here? And where are you going? I hope you understand the correlation. Sometimes we need to just stop and get reevaluated. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? I'll tell you who I am. I'm a child of God. And I've been bought with a price. And that price is not just so I get a golden ticket to heaven, but he's put a commission inside of me. He's called me. Not only am I a disciple of Christ, but he's called me to make disciples. And that's who I am. What am I doing? Well, good question. Let me examine. Are you satisfied with what you're doing? That's why the priest wanted to be asked every week. Because if you're, if you're asked, you know, have you, ever, have you ever been asked a question and you knew the question was coming and you were so excited because you were doing exactly what they wanted you to do? You know, maybe it was a work, uh, 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 you know, they were going to kind of look you over and see it. And you're like, oh, yeah, ask me that question, ask me that question. But if they asked that question the next week, you would beg them not to ask that question. So yeah, you could ask me one night at church, hey, how you doing? How's your Bible reading? How's your discipleship? Oh, I'm doing good. This week I witnessed to three people. But I need that same question asked next week because i got to make sure I'm, who am I? Where, where, why am I here? And where am I going? In the spring of 1519, Hernando Cortez landed, I think, 11 ships on the eastern Mexican shoreline. They began to explore, and, and they were going to try to conquer new worlds, and, and, and there was, there was a, a missionary push to what they were doing as well. And, and they, they were there. He had 6,000 men. They, they landed on Mexico, and they discovered that that, that the terrain was not what they anticipated. It was rough. The, the, those that, that were there, uh, uh, the indigenous people, they were hostile. And, and there were some of his men that decided, you know, we'd probably be, be, be better off just let's go back home. It's not worth the price. Cortez had a revolt on his hand. He knew he was just one man in the face of, of 6,000. What am I going to do? Cortez burned his ships. He set them on fire, burned them to the ground. And with no way for those 6,000 men to get back to their home, he looked at his men and he said this, you're going to try or you're going to die. There's no going back. Remember, I, and I'm, I'm, being, I'm being a little facetious, I'm being a little mean, a little petty, but I said earlier that, you know, this, this mock curse of modern Christianity, well, if you, if you listen to Joy FM and you, and you understand there's a, a group called King and Country, and they have a song out right now called Burn the Ships. It's about two and a half minutes long. It doesn't say a whole lot. It's kind of bland. But if you'll go back to the late 90s or early 2000s, Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song called Burn the Ships and it's like five minutes long and it says a whole lot kind of just a, a little microcosm of where we are Stephen Curtis Chapman said it this burn the ships we're here to stay there's no way we can go back now we've come this far by faith burn the ships we've passed the point of no return our lives are here so let the ships burn 
today, this Wednesday night, I'm not preaching to a people that I'm worried about you backsliding and going back to your your the, the vomit like the dog does. I'm not I'm not looking at a people that I'm worried about you going back to to the sinful life you're in. But I am concerned that after all that God has let our church get to and the revival that we're in, there is a little concern that we would look at what the future holds and realize it takes work to continue revival like this. And there's a little bit of fear in me that would look back, brother Sam, and say, "Man, I sure hope this church doesn't get their foot off the gas and say, you know what? Let's just go back to where." church was easy and we didn't have to bring out extra chairs and we didn't have to teach Bible studies and we didn't have to get all crowded up and we don't have to give because we need a new church and, and, and I'd like to just tell you no we're going to burn those ships because we've reached the point of no return that point of no return refers to a technical term in air navigation and, and it, it, it's, a, it's a, a place and a flight in which the plane is no longer capable of turning around from where it took off. It has to keep going. And so it really plays into play when you're crossing the ocean. That there is a place in every uh, uh, trans-oceanic flight that they, they've used up their fuel. That if they turned around and tried to go home, they'd crash because they'd run out of fuel. they got to keep going. And so the, 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 the flight engineers and the flight mechanics, they'll tell you that they have to make sure right before they reach that point of no return, can we make it? Because if not, we need to turn around now. But for the lighthouse, we've reached that point of no return. We just got to keep going forward. Cortez is not the only one that burned his boats. I said that happened, what, in, in 15 or so, but 15, 19 or so, but back in 711 A.D., not the gas station, 711 A.D., Muslim forces invaded the Iberian Peninsula, and their commander that I cannot for the life of me pronounce his name ordered his ships burned for the same exact reason. When the bounty mutineers reached the island they were going, they burned the ships. It happened in Chinese lore. It happened in the Roman myth of Aeneas who burned his boats after conquering some territory in Italy. In Burmese history, it happened. They, they, they crossed the river on a pontoon bridge, which is rafts, boats that are connected, and then they burned it so that they couldn't go back. They just had to keep going forward. It's... Another phrase that echoes the Alamo, it's that line in the sand. Once you cross, you just can't go back. And I'd like to just challenge you. Maybe I haven't gone into a lot of detail. Perhaps I'm intentionally leaving it a bit vague. But I'd like to challenge every one of us to just put in our mind, I'm not going back. That this is the norm, the new norm. This is the life God's called us to. Holy Ghost outpourings and waters of baptism troubled and healings. I'll be the first to tell you, I know what it took to get there. And now we got to put in the work. Because I'm burning the ships. I don't want to go back. Some of you, I can look at your life. In fact, almost every one of you, I'm a amazed, I'm blessed I know how far, and I'm not talking about how far you've come from sinner to saint 
I know how far you've come from saint to where you are right now and what God has done in your life your life and the ministries that God is letting you be a part of and 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 you 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 said I'm 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 getting my hand to the plow and and I've seen how far you've grown I don't want you to go back so let's just get our mindset I'm gonna burn the ships I don't want to go back God has brought me here and all I have is for you would you stand with me today I invite you to take a moment and Examine your life. Again, I, I don't. I did not intend this sermon to be for those who are backsliding. But I guess I should say, if you have a tendency to backslide or a thought, don't burn that shit, burn that friendship, burn the places you used to go. Whatever it takes. So I guess if that applies, I want you to think that way. But I believe the the, the message and the, the the point of my message is to those who are moving forward growing with God following that great commission saying Lord I want to be a part of this end time revival what are you going to do tomorrow what are you going to do next week how are you going to move forward and let this continue let's not go back I looked I, I looked at I started the sermon by talking about the being able to go back and seeing how, how many people has been where and how many people in each service I looked at all of that and it was fun I enjoyed seeing how far we've gone from an average of 30 something people in 2008 to an average of about 60 something people in 2009 to an average of 100 people in 2010 and then it began to grow and then I look where we are now I don't want to go back I don't want to go back to blue pews. I don't want to go back to blue carpet. I don't want to go back to blue uh, windows. I don't want to go back. I like where we are right now. I like what God is doing. And I'm thankful that he's brought us here. And my prayer is, God, I'm going to keep doing your work because there's more that need the Holy Ghost. There's more that need baptized. There's more Bible studies to teach. There's more people to invite. I'm burning the ships. I'm not looking back. I'm not looking for comfort. I'm not looking for, for uh, uh, you know, ease. God, where you lead, I'll go. Where you commission, I'll go. Would you close your eyes as they sing, and would you just let that be your prayer right now?